You are listening to the Bristow Advent Christian Church Podcast. Visit us on the web at bristowacc.net. Thank you for listening. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, praise and worship team. Thank you, Chelsea. Beautiful music this morning as we raise a voice and celebrate our risen Savior today. Again, good, well, I said good morning, everybody. I can't say it again. Good morning, folks. Good to be here this morning with you in the house of the Lord. Everybody awake? Huh? How many of you went home, took a little nap before you came back after the sunrise? said, Ron, did you? Yeah, bless your heart. I had a beautiful sunrise service this morning. Sun didn't come out, but it was still a beautiful time to get together and to, uh, to worship together. It is a beautiful day out that the Lord has blessed us with. Normally it's raining. On, Christ, on Easter morning, but I said Christmas, but you guys look great. You guys look great. There's something about that Easter attire is just fresh, and it smells like it's right off the rack, and you look good, you smell good, you feel good. I put mine on today, and I said, how does this look? She said, well, and how many of you men know when your wife says, well, and there's a pause? It's never really a good thing. She said, well, it looks good, but you look like Christmas. So I said, all right, nailed it. <laughs> Picked out my own attire today. So it, it's Easter attire. Red is for the blood is what I thought. So, huh? Yeah, it, it makes sense now that we think about it. But you guys look great. Good to be here with you this morning in the house of the Lord on this beautiful Easter day that God has blessed us with. And a beautiful day to be together with you today in his house. If you want to go ahead and turn to today's scripture, it is one scripture. Cindy, one scripture. Cindy always gets on me if it's too much or it's too little, but it's one scripture, and it's Mark chapter 16, verse 3 today, as we look to celebrate this time in God's word today with a great fact that he still moves stones. That's the title of today's message. And also, as always, I'm thankful and blessed for the opportunity that God has given me to stand before you and share his word for you just a little bit today. I'm thankful for his amazing grace. I'm thankful for his love. I'm thankful for the plan set forth to buy back humanity, and I like to make that personal. I'm thankful for the plan set forth to buy back me and my family and you. Thankful for you. Thankful for God's plan, which will come to pass and did come to pass. Joe, we'd rather be than right here, right now. Nowhere. All right, and Rick is home. He, we need to pray for Rick. He may have a kidney stone. Bless his heart. Woo! So, Avery, where else would you rather be than right here, right now? Huh? Now, who's got any better than we do? There you go. Nope. She didn't sound too sure of herself, did she? But she knows it's there. Today, we're going to look at this Easter sermon that's entitled, He Still Moves Stones. And there's five stones that we're going to look at today that God's still in the business of moving. Uh, we, we look at Easter, and we look at the, the huge stone that was rolled away from the tomb, and our text is on that today, but there's five stones that we're going to cover in today's message, and stone number one will be the stone of discouragement. Stone number two will be the stone of dread. Stone number three will be the stone of doubt. Stone number four will be the stone of defeat, and five, the stone of death. Amen. Amen. He still moves stones. It was early on first Easter morning and what little grass that grew in that arid climate that they lived in was moist with the morning dew. The cool air of early spring breezed through the blossoming branches of the nearby trees. 
much like a day like today when we're out there and it was blowing through the pecan trees down there. You, you just get that feeling when it's there. The sun crept, crept slowly over, over the mountains before spilling light onto the rolling hills of Palestine. The bright morning star could still be seen in the northern sky, a symbol of hope, a sign that something better loomed on the horizon. Now, on this morning, a small band of women making their way to the tomb of Jesus, their hope was in short supply. Their spirits had been crushed by what had taken place just a few days earlier by the same nails that pierced the hands and the feet of Jesus. They were discouraged, they were disheartened, and they were defeated. And they wanted more than anything else. Was Anything else at this time was just to see the body of Jesus one last time. To honor him. To honor him by anointing his body with spices and perfumes. The first century equivalent of laying flowers on a graveside. But as they walked along that lonely path to the tomb, suddenly it dawns on this group of ladies. And the Bible says this. From Mark chapter 16, verse 3. So if you go ahead and stand, we just got one here. It won't take very long. The Bible says they asked each other this question. From Mark chapter 16, verse 3. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Father, thank you for your word today, Father. And thank you, Father, for the question those ladies asked that day. Lord, for the answer they're about to get. Lord, thank you that that's a question we still ask today, Lord, in our lives. Who will roll away the stone? Father, the answer is still the same. Lord, it is you. I pray your blessing upon this time today. I pray your blessing upon these hearts that are here today. I pray your blessing upon your word today and our reading of it and our understanding of it, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, would visit us this day and anoint us, Father, with a fresh fire. I pray, Father, as we leave this place, as we go about our ways, Lord, that people will see us and see that difference, Lord, and say that person is different. That person has been in the presence of Jesus this day. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Two of these women that were with them today. Number one, we've got Mary Magdalene uh, the, the, and Mary, the mother of James. They had seen where the body had been placed. And they knew that there was a huge stone that had been rolled across the entrance of the tomb. So as they approached the gravesite, they remembered that stone. And they realized, we can't move this stone on our own. We can't do it. The stone itself probably weighed several hundred pounds. And would have rolled uphill out of the rut in the ground. In order to open up the tomb. Now even if all five of these women worked together, they wouldn't been able to budge it. As far as they were concerned, this was an insurmountable obstacle that they faced. But we know what that's like, don't we? We know what that's like. We know like that, what that's like. We all have our own stones in our lives. I know mine, and you know yours. You know its size. You know its shape. You know how big it is. You know its circumference. Your stone doesn't cover the tomb in Jerusalem. Rather, our stones are blocked by the boulders of unemployment. Abandonment, abuse, addiction. We face insurmountable obstacles. We face debt, divorce, and depression. We got bills to pay, grades to make, and people that we can't please. A career, a career that we can't escape. A past that we can't shake. And a future that we can't face. 
And the reality is, by ourselves, we are not strong enough. We are not strong enough to roll those stones away. Come at it from any angle that you choose. Grab any tool that you think may help. You can't budge it. You can't get over it. You can't go around it. You can't move it, not even an inch. But Jesus does that for us. Jesus does that for us. He does that for us, what he did for Mary, and for, for Salome, and for Peter, and James, and John, and Thomas. Their lives were forever changed because he rolled away that stone. That stone represents the fears and the failures of Jesus' closest friends. And his resurrection personally and powerfully impacted the lives of those who knew him and those who loved him. It rolled away the stones that hindered their faith. It rolled away the stones that hindered their future. Other than the stone blocking the entrance of his own tomb, Jesus moved no less than five stones that Easter morning. And the first stone we want to look at today is the stone of discouragement. Stone number one, the stone of discouragement. Let's go back to Mary. Let's go back to Mary and the other women at the tomb. Now to say these women were discouraged is a bit of an understatement. They were devastated. They were heartbroken. All the men, save one, had left. But you know who stayed behind? Save one? The women. They were devastated. They were heartbroken. They believed in Jesus. They put their faith in Him. All their hopes, all their dreams rested on this man. But then he died. The ground beneath the old rugged cross was tinged red with the blood of the Christ. And they weren't the only ones feeling discouraged either. All of Jesus' followers were disappointed. They were all delusioned. And I think the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus spoke for everyone when they said this. We had hoped that this one, we had hoped that he would be the one. Let me tell you something. Anytime you start talking in past tense about hope, you know you're in trouble. A soul without hope is like a body without food. Can you identify with these disciples? Do you know what they're talking about here? Have you ever had your hopes crushed? Right in front of you. We, we all have all kinds of hopes. We all have those things that we, we, we hope to see come to pass. We all have hopes. We all have dreams. The hope that we might meet the perfect man or woman and get married. And the hope that the marriage we have might be rekindled. Some of us desperately hope for a child. Some of us desperately hope we don't have another child. While others hope that their adult children might finally turn their lives around. We hope to get out of debt. We hope to escape our stress. We long to be healed of some disease, some disability. Or we hope we won't have to take this medication for the rest of our lives. When those dreams go unfulfilled, when they go unfulfilled or our hopes are shattered, it's discouraging and it's sometimes devastating. But when Mary and the others saw their risen Savior, it changed everything. The Bible says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord in John 20, 20. And the message Bible says this, the disciples seeing the new master with their own eyes were exuberant. The new century version says the followers were thrilled when they saw the Lord. The living Bible says, and how wonderful was their joy when they saw their Lord. 
Seeing Jesus made all the difference. In that moment, they went from hopelessness and depression to joyful, thrilling, overflowing exuberance. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, we will never experience a bankruptcy of hope. Psalms 25, 22.5 puts it best, and they, it says this, They trusted you and were never disappointed. Apart from Christ, apart from Christ, apart from Christ, life is full of disappointments. Life is full of discouragement. But Jesus gives us back hope. The trick is that we put, and this is, get this, the trick is we make sure we put all of our eggs in the right basket. Did you get that, the Easter thing? Put our eggs in the right basket. When we hang our hopes on the things of this world, we're only building on castles of sands. But when our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ will be standing on solid ground. Jesus rose away the stone of discouragement and he also rose, point number two, the stone of dread. Do you remember what happened to all the apostles when Jesus was arrested? They ran away. Just a few hours before that, Lord, we're never going to leave you. We're never going to forsake you. One of them cut the ear off of the soldier. But when it... Push came to shove. When the rubber met the road, they all ran away. They abandoned Jesus in his time of need. Of the twelve handpicked by Jesus, only one had the fortitude to follow Jesus to the cross. And of course, after Jesus was crucified, they were more terrified than ever. They were certain they crucified our master. We're going to be next. In fact, the Bible says... That in John 20, 19, that that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were confused. They were fearful. And the, the disciples stayed close together, hiding from the authorities. And huddled behind locked doors. Jesus had told them this, meet me, meet me in Galilee. But they wouldn't go. They were paralyzed by fear. You see, fear does that to us, doesn't it? Fear does that to us. Fear closes a window. Fear locks the door. Fear is a prison of our own making, and it keeps us from accomplishing what God wants us to do. What are we afraid of? Do you have a fear of rejection that keeps you from sharing your faith? Do you have a, a fear of intimacy that, that prevents you from having any meaningful relationships? Maybe a fear of failure that thwarts every attempt to try anything new. As Jesus' disciples cowered behind those locked doors, Jesus appeared to them. The Bible says this in John 20, 19. Then Jesus came and stood right in the middle of them and said, Peace be with you. Their fear was transformed. Their fear was transformed into faith. And the next thing you know, these same fearful followers are out in the city streets. They're in the synagogue boldly proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. That's quite a turnaround. What made the difference? Why such a, why such a difference in their lives there? Maybe it was a promise that Jesus gave them in Matthew 28, 19. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Centuries earlier, God said the same thing to, to Joshua. And he said, do not be afraid 
or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Joshua 1.9, whatever challenges we meet, whatever challenges we meet, whatever obstacles we may face, we do not have to be afraid. Because we're not alone. You got cancer. You got Alzheimer's. You got car crashes. We got a failing economy. You got a floundering 401k. You may have teenage pregnancy, crime, natural disasters. Come what may, come what may, God is by our side. And in the words of hymnist E.A. Hoffman, what do I have to dread? What do I have to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. The risen Jesus. The risen Jesus removes the stone of dread. He removes the stone of doubt. Point number three, the stone of doubt. We look at one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite disciples, when we look to Thomas. Poor Thomas. Thomas missed his first, the first appearance of Christ. While the others hid behind locked doors, Thomas was off on his own. No one really knows what he was doing, what he was up to. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there, but he sure got, he sure got chastised for it, didn't he? Doubting Thomas. That's what we call him. Anybody that knows anything about the Bible knows about doubting Thomas. That's what we call him. The Bible says this in John 20, 24, and 25. One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Thomas was a skeptic. There's a little bit of that in all of us, isn't there? Amen? Thomas was a skeptic. He must have been from Missouri because if he didn't see it, he wasn't going to believe it. Until he saw the evidence. Until he saw the evidence. Now Thomas has taken quite a bit of, of criticism for his doubts. But he certainly isn't the only person to, to doubt their Christian faith. Maybe you have some doubts of your own. I know I did. And I know I do from time to time. And occasionally these doubts creep back up again, don't they? But with the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus removes any doubts we may have. There's nothing wrong with being skeptical. There's nothing wrong with battling doubts. God is big enough for your skepticism. God is big enough for your doubts. As long as we're willing to follow where the evidence leads. Thomas reminds me of a man named Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a private investigator, a private investigative editor at the Chicago Tribune and a confirmed atheist. That is, until his wife became a Christian. As her faith grew, he saw so many changes taking place in her life. He was afraid that he was losing her. So he set out on a mission to investigate Jesus Christ. His goal at first was to prove to his wife that Jesus was not the Son of God. But things didn't quite go exactly as planned. He used his resources at the Tribune to contact scholars and historians from around the globe. He investigated the, the reliability of Jesus and, and his story. But everything hinged on the resurrection. If Jesus really died and came back to life three days later, then it validated everything that he said. It validated everything that he did. He said it validated everything he, he ever said and proved that he is who he claimed to be. The evidence is irresistible. After nearly two years of investigation, 
Lee sat down at his desk. He pulled out a legal pad. He drew a line down the middle of a page on that paper. On one side, he wrote all the evidence against Jesus being the Son of God. And on the other side, all the evidence for it. Lee Strobel was overwhelmed by his own discoveries. Lee Strobel gave his heart to Jesus right then and right there. Thomas did the same thing. When Thomas saw the evidence, seeing Jesus with his own eyes, Thomas fell to his knees and exclaimed, My Lord, my God. The resurrection of Jesus removes the stone of doubt. It also removes point number four for today, the stone of defeat. you got to love my man Peter, don't you? Peter was such a simple man, but Peter was a passionate follower of Jesus. He was an all-or-nothing kind of guy. Uh, when, he, when he was with somebody, he put that, that, what do you call that thing? Accelerator down to the floor and let's go. He was an all-or-nothing kind of guy. And one night, on the night that Jesus was arrested, he was all in. He was all in. He said, Lord, I will lay down my life for you in John 13, 37. But by sunrise, the next morning, he folded. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. In John 13, 38. And we know the story. Jesus was right. Peter was wrong. He failed Jesus when it counted most. You know what it's like to fail? Ooh, Nellie, I sure do. I sure do. You know the heartache of a failed marriage or a failed career? Do you feel like a failure as a father? Do you feel like a failure as a friend? Peter's failure hung over his head like a dark cloud. He was ready to quit. Throw it all away. Three years ago, Jesus had called him away from his career as a fisherman to become a fisher of men. Yet even after Jesus came back from the dead... Peter still felt like a failure. It's a hard feeling to shake. Rather than head toward Galilee as he had been instructed, Peter went back to what he knew best, and that was fishing. He was ready to return to his old life, to give up being a follower of Jesus. But you remember the story, don't you? Peter and the others were out on the Sea of Galilee. They'd been fishing all night. No success. I know what that's like, too. But then Jesus shows up. Let me tell you something, folks. Those four words are life-changing words. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, those four words are life-changing. Amen? That's a life-changing experience. Then Jesus shows up for Peter and for you and for me. Ooh, praise God. Jesus shows up. He tells them where to cast their nets. And then he sits down on the beach to share a barbecue breakfast. And during that meal, Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? And each time, Peter said yes. And the last words that Jesus spoke to Peter are exactly the same as the first words he spoke to Peter in Matthew 4.19 and John 22.21. Follow me. Peter got a second chance. Praise God. We serve a God of second chances. 
There's a, there's a, this is a true story. And, then, and several years back in, in a Nike commercial several years ago, a voice came over the television saying this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I was trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is exactly why I succeed. These words were spoken by Michael Jordan. And I don't care what you say about LeBron. Michael Jordan is the best basketball player to ever get on a basketball court. And I didn't even like him. I don't even like him. But again, the evidence is overwhelming. Just because we fail, just because we fail does not mean we quit. Just because we've been defeated in the past doesn't mean we surrender. We have a God of second chances who rolls away the stone of defeat. And finally, point number five today, glory to God, he rolls away the stone of death. And that's why we're here this morning, isn't it? He rolls away the stone of death. If the praise team would come on, start coming on up here, I've, I've learned to make a note for that now. Ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since the Garden of Eden, death has been the arch enemy of humanity. And death always wins. The odds that you may, that, that any, any of us will eventually die in a car crash are 1 in 648. The odds of any of us dying in a fire is 1 in 4 million. The odds got better. But the odds that all of us are going to die if the Lord tarries is this 1 in 1. Death comes to every living thing. For thousands of years, death has stalked its prey. For thousands of years, it has stalked its prey with exacting precision. It has a 100% success rate. That is, till Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Joe, thank you. Amen. That is, till Jesus. And then everything changes. Jesus conquered death through his resurrection and offers to do the same for us, for you and for me. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22. He says, but the fact is that Christ has been raised from the dead. He has become the first of a great harvest, a great harvest of, of, a great harvest of those who will be raised to life again. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man Adam... Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus Christ. Everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam, the first man, but all who are related to Christ, the other man, will be given new life. That's a praiseworthy statement. All throughout his ministry, Jesus promised one thing that nobody else could do, eternal life. That's what Jesus came to this world to offer. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus boldly proclaims, I have come that they may have life and that they be given a life more abundant. Adam's sin allowed death to lay claim to every human life. Jesus' death challenges that claim and nullifies it in the resurrection. Adam gave us all death. Jesus offers all life. In other words, real life can only be found in Jesus Christ. At conception, we receive as part of our human inheritance the curse of death. 
At conversion, we receive Christ's gift of eternal life. Our eternal destiny is not a matter of better or worse. It's nothing less than a matter of life or death. We must choose. We must choose correctly. Let me wrap this up. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why, why God rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb? I mean, he had the ability to just appear. That's what he did with the disciples. He, they looked up and he was there. He had, he had the ability to materialize behind locked doors. Surely he could have left the tomb without moving the stone. Have you ever thought about that? Shannon, thank you. I thought I was the only weird one. No one. Darla said no, never thought about that. Surely he could have left the tomb without moving the stone. But he didn't. I think he moved that stone for Mary, for Peter, for James, for John, for Tony, for Joyce, for Randy, for Shannon. I think he moved that stone for you, and I think he moved that stone for me. He moved the stone just to show us that he could, and he still moves stones today, praise his name. Whatever challenges you face, whatever challenges you face, whatever boulders block your path, and we've all got them, Whatever boulders block your path, whether there's discouragement, doubt, depression, divorce, debt, fear, failure, or even death, just know this, he still moves stones today. He stands ready to move yours. He stands ready to move yours if you'll surrender it to him. See, that's the hard part for us sometimes. I said this this morning at the... At the uh, sunrise service a hard truth is this we're as close to the Lord as we want to be it's it's not the Lord that's keeping us at arm's length it's us that keeps him just far enough out of our business to make sure that we feel like we've got some control over this life he can he will move your stones today but you gotta let him do it you gotta let him do it he if you'll surrender that to Him, you'll have the chance to do that today. Right here, right now, today in this place as we have an altar call here in a minute. Because the truth of the matter is this. This is another hard truth. You have lived far too long. You've lived far too long with that same question on your lips. That same question in your head. That same question in your heart. That small band of women asked that beautiful first Easter morning, Who will roll away the stones in my life? You've lived far too long with that same question. Your eyes will tell you it's too big. Your strength will tell you you're not strong enough. Your mind will tell you this is just the way it is. But deep down in your heart, deep down in your heart, well, it keeps telling you. It keeps telling you that there is one who can. It, it keeps calling to you. There, if there is one who will. 
It keeps saying to you, there is one who can, there is one who will, there is one who wants to roll the stone away. I'm telling you that again today. He is risen. He is alive. The stone has been rolled away. Come and let him roll away the stone in your life today. The devil is a liar. He's telling you right now why you shouldn't do that. He's telling you right now, those people, they don't need to know what you're battling. Let me tell you something. There is strength in transparency. Amen. If you're not battling something, today raise your hand. We're all in this boat together, ain't we? But praise God, we got a Savior in that boat with us as well. I don't care what kind of storms we're facing. What kind of battle that we're facing? What kind of stone is blocking your life? The lightning may be crashing. The wind may be blowing. And it may think, ooh, it's going to take us off to the side. If he's in our boat and we're all in this together, all he's got to do is stand up and say peace. And he can speak that peace into your life today and every day. He still moves stones. If he's spoken to your heart. If he's speaking to your heart. Don't let the devil stop you from what you know you need to do. Don't let him tell you, yeah, you, boy, this is just the way it is. You ain't strong enough. That stone is too big. I'm telling you, I have, the Lord has moved some mighty stones in my life. I'm telling you, he's big enough. I'm telling you, he can. I'm telling you. He will. He still moves stones today.